Morning, everyone. Good to be with you. Uh, I have a a lot to do this morning. I'm going to do something I wasn't planning to do. Uh, Just maybe this is what some parents need to hear this morning, Uh, especially parents with young children. Happy birthday, Miss Denia. Did she catch that? She didn't catch it, but that's all right. Denia, happy birthday. Okay, she's, maybe she was just out partying last night. She's a little tired. <laughs> but uh, I was singing that song, By This We Know Love. I was not, you know, thinking about it when we put the order of worship together, but there's a lot of nights that I sang that song to the young lady sitting uh, up front there. I can remember laying on the floor in her room singing, By This We Know Love. Zach, she had to listen to me singing a lot. It was, you could pray for her. And uh, it feels like it was not that long ago. So parents, if you're wishing those days away with young children, don't wish them away because they do go by kind of fast. Uh, and sing praise to God uh, with your kids. Uh, that is not in the notes, but maybe that's an encouragement to some parents out there. How did you uh, get here this morning? I'm not asking, in, in asking that question, I am not wondering what mode of transportation uh, you used to arrive at the gathering this morning. Uh, I mean, what, what's your story? I wonder if you realize how strange it is uh, and unlikely it is that all of us would be uh, hanging out together this morning. A lot of us have very little in common with each other. Uh, we're, we're of different generations. Uh, we're of different ethnicities, some of us different family backgrounds, different socioeconomic classes, different levels of education, different hobbies uh, or interests, different life stages. Uh, And if we were to share those stories with one another of how we got here today, my guess is there would be many differences among them. But the common link that connects them all is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, what, what brought us here today is God's almighty and gracious pursuit of us in bringing to us uh, the truth of Jesus in the power of his Holy Spirit. Uh, if, if we were to recount those stories with each other, and I would encourage you to do that, make that a regular part of your uh, life in this church, is just to ask someone, hey, how did you come to know the Lord? And just listen and rejoice. Uh, We should do that with one another. And if we were to recount those stories, we would find, I think, that in various ways, God uh, arranged circumstances and situations and brought certain people along at just the right time and prepared our hearts in such a way that when that message of Jesus came to us, we were readied to receive it. In other words, God is still doing in our own day what he has been doing since the very first days of his church, which is what we've been studying together as we uh, have been looking into the book of Acts. Uh, And and we're going to see that especially uh, clearly and vividly in the passage that is before us this morning in Acts chapter 10. So I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 10. Uh, If you uh, are following along in one of those Bibles that is provided under the seats, that's found on page 918, Acts chapter 10. And I would remind you, if you're new to the Bible or if you're new to this study, that in the book of Acts, uh, Luke is chronicling the beginnings of that Uh, of the fulfillment of that promise that Jesus made to his disciples when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. And in the book of Acts, we see Jesus bringing that promise to fulfillment from the first days after Jesus' resurrection and his ascension 
to heaven uh, from Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, Jesus is building his church. And what we're going to consider this morning from Acts 10 is an event of momentous significance in that building of Jesus' church. Uh, We can see how momentous it is, I think, when we look at the great length and detail and repetition that goes into telling this particular story that we're going to look at this morning. We're actually only going to read a part of it. We're going to read a large chunk of it today, but it actually goes on, and the story basically gets retold again in chapter 11, which, Lord willing, we'll come to uh, next week. So this is a very important moment in the history of God's dealings with mankind. And so I'm, I'm going to read this morning, as I said, it's a little bit of a lengthy passage, verses 1 through 43. And, and I would urge you, I'm going to pray to this end in a moment, but I would urge you to, to listen carefully and reverently and attentively to God's word. Uh, Our mobile devices have not helped us in the ability to listen thoughtfully and attentively to a six or seven minute reading of scripture. So I want to urge you to listen reverently. We are reading God's word. It is not a throwaway statement. When someone stands up here, they read a portion of scripture and they say, this is God's word. That doesn't have, we don't, it's not a requirement to say that, but it's good for us to be reminded this is God's word. So uh, labor to listen attentively, and I'm going to pray to that end now. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for your help. Uh, It is your spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And so we, we need your help in just being able to hear rightly. Help us to listen. Help us to be those described in Isaiah, humble and contrite, trembling at your word. And we pray that you'd be pleased to do a good work in us as we meditate upon your word this morning. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men 
who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how, ungrate, how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is God's word, brothers and sisters. I know you all want to know what happened. You'll have to wait till next week to find what happens because there's plenty to talk about right there. If I were to summarize uh, that long portion of scripture that I just read, I, I think I would put it like this. The God who shows no partiality pursues sinners from all peoples with the offer of forgiveness of sins and full inclusion into his family through the crucified and risen Christ. I know that is not the shortest summary, but it is a summary of 43 verses. The God who shows no partiality pursues sinners from all peoples with the offer of forgiveness of sins and full inclusion into his family through the crucified and risen Christ. And to help us think about that pursuing God, I want to distill the teaching of this passage to two, two words, preparation and proclamation. 
That's right. They are alliterated, Noah Lazarus. Preparation and proclamation. There are two uh, prominent people in this story, Cornelius and Peter. And in both of their lives, we see God preparing them for the proclamation of the message of Christ. We'll, we'll look at each of these two briefly. Uh, the text begins, though we've been introduced to Peter already, of course, in the narrative of the book of Acts. We are introduced here to Cornelius, and we're told that he is a Roman centurion, which indicates that he is a, a distinguished man. He's a man of some stature and status. And as a centurion, he was a symbol of Rome's rule over the nation of Israel. So this is not, just on the surface, when you hear of a man who's a Roman centurion, you're not thinking, this is a ripe candidate to embrace Israel's Messiah and God. But we're told that this particular centurion, Cornelius, was, was not your typical centurion. He is a a God-fearer. He feared God. And, and what that basically means is that he had a respect and a regard for the God of Israel, but he was, not a, he was not a full convert of the people of Israel. He was not a Jew. He hadn't converted to become a Jew. You need to be circumcised in order for that to happen. He had not been circumcised, but he had a respect and a regard for Israel's God. And that was evident specifically through the prayers that he was praying uh, and the giving of alms. Charitable. He was, he was generous. He, Cornelius is what we might say, he was a good guy. He, he's a guy you wouldn't mind having as a neighbor or a boss. And God, the, the God of Israel, has his eye on Cornelius. He has seen Cornelius' reverence, and he is, he is pleased by it. Uh, this language in verse 4 of, of, of the prayers rising to God as a memorial, is, that's the language of, of sacrifices. It's as though his prayers were a sweet-smelling aroma to God. But that reverence that Cornelius had for God did not make Cornelius right with God. Despite his, his piety, despite his reverence, Cornelius still needed something to be right with God. He needed what Peter had. And that's why this angel in the vision directs Cornelius to send for Peter. God is pursuing this religious outsider, this Roman centurion. God is pursuing him. So Cornelius is a, he's a good guy, I said, but we need to be very clear that no one who's a good guy is able to be uh, earning or obtaining God's favor through being a good guy. Your respect for God, charitable giving, being a good boss or a good neighbor, these things cannot make one right with God. Cornelius needed the gospel. He needed the message that Peter had. That's why it says there in verse 22, you notice the repetition in the passage, right? just over and over again talking about this vision. Uh, verse 22, when the people uh, have come from Cornelius and they're explaining to Peter what's happened, they say, Cornelius was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house to hear what you have to say. Cornelius needed to hear what Peter had to say in order to be right with God. So let's just be aware that, relatively speaking, th there may be people that we work with, that we live around, that are good people. But this passage teaches that everybody needs Jesus if they would truly be in right standing with God. And as extraordinary as this angelic vision is, notice what the angel does not do. What does the angel not do in this vision? It's risky to ask you all a question. 
looking for one particular answer. What does he not do? He doesn't preach the gospel. Could God have used an angel, do you think, to declare to Cornelius, Cornelius, God has seen your piety, but you need something. You need the Messiah. You need Jesus. And Jesus, could the angel have done that? Sure, he could have done that. He didn't do that. The honor of evangelism is ours. God has ordained that his gospel would be proclaimed by those who have been saved by that same gospel. And it might not be your experience, your story might not be as miraculous as an angel coming to you and directing you to a person, but wasn't it that way for you? If you're here today and you've been saved of your sins, it's because somebody told you the message. Maybe they verbally told it to you. Maybe they pointed you to God's word where it's communicated, but somebody told you. It's not angels who bear the saving message of Christ, but it is other saved sinners. And that leads us to the preparation of the other key figure in this story, Peter. Because while God is preparing Cornelius to receive the proclamation of Christ, he's got to prepare Peter to deliver it. Because this whole thing is going to blow Peter's mind. We left Peter in Joppa, staying with a tanner named Simon. Uh, Joppa was about 30 miles away from Caesarea, at least that's what I'm told. And Peter goes up on the, uh, the rooftop, it seems, to, to pray, and he himself falls into a, a trance. And he sees a sheet descending from the heavens with all kinds of animals on it, and God's instruction is to kill and eat. And, and Peter is horrified. Right? Verse 14, it says, by no means. We could translate that also, God forbid. By no means, Lord. And, and I trust for all of us, at least the overwhelming, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I think you all know the word kosher. That's not a new word or concept to you. But it's hard for us to grasp how shocking of a command this is to Peter's Jewish ears. For, for over a millennium at this point, the Jewish people had known that part of their identity as God's people, part of what it meant for them to be devoted to God was their separation from certain foods which God had declared to be unclean. If you want to read about those dietary laws and restrictions, Leviticus 11 is a chapter that you could dwell upon. But that was just part of their idea. That was part of how they understood their relationship with God was that they were to be separate from these other foods which God had declared to be unclean. But now God's word is coming to Peter and it says, what God has made clean, do not call common. In other words... With the arrival of Jesus into the world and with the final cleansing sacrifice of Christ now offered and with the command to take the gospel to all ethnic groups in the world, those old ceremonial laws about foods which had distinguished the Jewish people uh, from the nation so that it would be very clear that the Messiah was in fact coming from the Jewish line. Now that the Messiah had come and the call was to go and take the message of his salvation to the Gentiles, those food laws which separated the Jews from the Gentiles were no longer needed. The dietary restrictions were fulfilled and ended in Jesus. And more importantly, the people that kept you separate from the, the Gentiles, they were not to be considered unclean or common anymore. Inclusion in God's people is no longer based on ethnic privilege or pedigree or adherence to outward rules and regulations, but it is dependent upon one's relationship with God's Christ, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And to make that point loud and clear to Peter, God says, kill and eat. 
It's a new thing happening. It's not as though God changed his mind. He was against these foods, and now he's for these foods. It was about making sure that the nation of Israel maintained its identity as a distinct people until the Messiah came from the Jewish people. Now the Messiah, Jesus, he's bringing Jew and Gentile together. And what's a big way that people are kept apart? What happens when people get together? They eat. Well, yeah, like some of you have plans to do that after the service, maybe. Well, to make sure that Jew and Gentile could mingle together to worship Jesus together, he took down the food laws, put them in place for a time until the Messiah came, and now everything's clean. Don't call anything unclean that I have declared to be clean. But it's such a shock to Peter. He needs to have this vision three times. And he's still, after three times, he's perplexed, it says. He's pondering, God, what are you, what are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. And isn't this just a coincidence? Right as he's pondering what this all means, the messengers from Cornelius arrive at Simon's house, and the Spirit tells him to go down and accompany them without hesitation. If you did not detect my sarcasm, this was not a coincidence, I don't believe. I believe this was God's providential direction. And it doesn't, it doesn't seem like Peter has everything figured out at this point, but he, he goes. He, he is obedient. He goes down. He welcomes the, the uh, visitors who have arrived from Cornelius, and they set out the next day for Caesarea. And so Peter then and his crew of people arrive with this delegation that has been sent from Cornelius and they find a house full of people eager for Peter's arrival. Cornelius, we talked about this, was this yesterday? We were talking about this, or Friday, we were talking about this passage at home and, and that just struck Michelle. It's like he, he knew something big was, Cornelius knew something big was coming. He got everybody. He got everybody around. Something big is going to happen. They were all waiting for uh, Peter to arrive and verse 25 is, is amazing to me. Uh, it's, it was thinking about verse 25 that is what made me uh, ask you the question about how you got here this morning and how unlikely it is that all of us should be hanging out together today. <laughs> Cornelius, the Roman centurion, is falling down at the feet of Peter, a Jewish fisherman. That's outside the box. That's pretty crazy. Can you taste what an unlikely and astonishing meeting this is? I was, uh, I, we were thinking about this. Well, I was thinking about this on Thursday. Okay, I see the Dungies. Welcome back, by the way, Dungies. We didn't recognize them earlier in the service. Welcome back, Dungies. Where, where's, are, are Wayne and Sally here? No, Wayne and Sally? We were just thinking, that we, you mentioned it, didn't you, the other day? At our, we do some godly gossiping in our elders' meetings, and we just, <laughs> just hear me out. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you, Aaron Winters knows what I'm talking about because I just used that phrase with him not, recent, not long ago. Uh, we spend some time at, at our elders' meetings just talking about ways that we see God's grace at work in the lives of, of his church, of you all. And we were just talking about this the other day. It was just like, how unusual, like Noah Dungy, meeting with Wayne Harris, getting together week after week, reading a book 3,000 years old. You just would not think of Wayne, Wayne I mean, this is no, I don't mean this in a, this is a wonderful evidence of God's grace. What is it that brings Wayne Harris together with Noah Dungy to read the book of Proverbs week after week after week? God does that. It's very unusual that this Roman centurion should be in a house with a Jewish fisherman, and that Roman centurion, he was wrong. He shouldn't be down, bound down worshiping, right? Peter says, get up. This is, not, this is not about worship, but it is very unusual that these two should be together and that this centurion should be so eager and desirous of hearing what this Jewish fisherman has to say. Peter says there in verse 28, like, I, I should not be here. Like, you know how this is not like the way it's supposed to be. The whole thing makes no sense, but God is on the move. 
The God who shows no partiality pursues sinners from all peoples with the offer of forgiveness of sins and full inclusion into his family through the crucified and risen Christ. Only God could have orchestrated this kind of meeting. God has given Cornelius a vision to send for Peter. God has shown Peter three times that the barrier of those old traditions has been torn down in Jesus so that this joyous proclamation of cleansing and forgiveness could be announced to sinners from every tribe and nation and language. And it's that proclamation that Peter gets right to once he's got everybody attentive and listening. Verse 33 Uh, for the record, is a preacher's dream. Let me just draw to your attention ever so briefly. If I can find it. It's in my Bible. Okay, there it is. Cornelius is is describing what happened for like the 80th time we're hearing about the angel and the vision. He says at the end of verse 33, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. May that be our posture as we gather. And you understand, I have not preached many times. So this is not about, hey, pay attention to listen to me. I have not preached many times in 2023. But may we all have the posture when we gather with the church to say, Let's, we're coming into the presence of God and there's a man gonna get up here and he's gonna declare what God has told him to say from the book. May we have that reverence as we prepare to hear God's word. Praise the Lord for your praise the Lord's. You can keep them coming. That's a holy thing to do. That's a way that you can encourage the saints is by just saying amen when something from God's word resonates with you or praise the Lord or hallelujah. You don't have to get up and do a dance or something, but you can just, you can communicate with me and that's edifying. Peter gets to proclaim. They all want to hear and he opened his mouth, verse 34, and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And I think you probably know this, but let me just be super clear to make sure you know this. Verse 35 does not mean that any God-fearer who does good in any culture, no matter their religious background, is just okay with God because they're being sincere in worshiping the God that they know. That is not what verse 35 means. I'm gonna burst your C.S. Lewis bubble a little bit. I like the Chronicles of Narnia as much as the next guy. C.S. Lewis seems to believe it. You can read this in Mere Christianity and and even in the Chronicles of Narnia, he kind of allegorizes it, that you could actually be saved by Jesus without knowing or hearing about Jesus. If you're just sincerely worshiping the God as you know. That is not what the Bible teaches. Cornelius was such a man, if there ever was one, but he needed the message of Christ to be saved. We'll get to it next week, but just look at, let me just say that, not on my authority, but God's authority. Chapter 11, verse 14, just look there briefly. Again, another recounting of the episode with the angel showing up and appearing to Cornelius. Uh, verse 13, let's go to verse 13. He, he said, saw an angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Cornelius was not saved. He was not right with God because he feared God and did what was right with the light that he had. No, God recognized he saw one who was sincerely seeking after the truth and he sent him the message of the gospel. He sent him the message of salvation in Jesus. Verse 35 seems to mean that because God shows no partiality, anyone from any nation is welcome to come and find refuge from the coming judgment of God through the sacrifice of Israel's Messiah, the Lord Jesus. That's where, that's where Peter goes as he continues to proclaim the message. It's for everyone. Salvation is from the Jews, for the Jewish Messiah came to ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And that's what verse 35 is saying. Anyone from any nation who comes to God on his terms, the terms of the Lord Jesus, Jewishness doesn't earn you anything. Being white doesn't earn you anything. Being black doesn't earn you anything. Being rich or being poor doesn't earn you anything. Anyone from anywhere who comes through Jesus, they can be saved. 
our day is a day of inclusion. We, we love, as a society, we love the word inclusive, inclusion. And I just think it's really, if you're here today, maybe visiting, inquiring about the Christian faith, uh, this is a wonderful opportunity to communicate to you that the Christian faith is very, very inclusive. If you're concerned about inclusivity, very inclusive. Because it declares that all, everyone, is included in the number of people who are made in God's image to worship and glorify him. And it communicates that all, everyone, very inclusive, everyone has rebelled against that God and is therefore deserving of his eternal judgment. And it declares that all, every single one, no matter their ethnicity or their culture or their gender identity or their sexual orientation, all of them are invited to find forgiveness and pardon and a free welcome back into God's presence through the atoning work of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen as our Savior and King. All are welcome. Is that inclusive? All are welcome to receive the benefits of his salvation simply through admitting their need, that they have sinned and that they deserve God's judgment. And for all those people who would come and say, Jesus, rescue me, he saves them. What could be more inclusive than that? You could tell that to your neighbor or coworker this week maybe. It's that message of inclusion that Peter proclaims to the gathering in Cornelius' house. As for the word that he sent to Israel, verse 36, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. That's what we've been celebrating. Peace, good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, God is reconciling estranged sinners to a righteous God. He is bringing about a cessation of God's holy and righteous hostility against our sin because of the all-sufficient sacrifice of Jesus. And Peter goes on, and he speaks of Jesus' life. God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good. What a beautiful, concise summary of the whole life and ministry of Jesus. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. God was with him. His, his miracles testified to his authority over the demons and over the whole created world. But what did the people do in response to this Jesus who always only did good? They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Instead of receiving him and worshiping him, they scorned him and they murdered him. They put the author of life to death on a Roman cross, but God raised him up on the third day. And Peter now says, we've been commanded to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one, Jesus, appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. You know, there's a saying in our erroneous day of inclusivism, there's a saying that there are, that all paths lead to God. And you know what, this passage actually is saying that's true. All paths do lead to God as judge. Every thought of every religious believer of any religion anywhere in the world Every thought, every motive, every desire, Romans 2 says every secret of the heart will be laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. All paths do lead to God as judge, but there is one name given among men by which we may be saved, and it is the name of Jesus. Everyone who believes in him, Peter says, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Jesus was crucified and he rose to forgive sinners of their sins. If you're here today and you are aware of your sin, it doesn't matter how you feel, it doesn't matter how badly you think you have lived or how far you think you have strayed, if you are here today, Jesus' offer is for you. And if you would come to him, if you would lay down your rights to yourself, if you would lay down your sin and receive Jesus, he will bring you cleansing and forgiveness 
forgiveness and he will give you full inclusion into his family, not through your works, but through grace alone because Jesus paid it all. Jesus satisfied the justice of God on the cross and he rose from the grave to show that he really had satisfied the justice of God so that all could come to him. And do do you see how that good news unites people no matter how different they are in earthly categories. You see, that message that I preached of salvation, inclusive salvation in Jesus alone, that cancels and nullifies all pride in position or privilege, whether that pride is in ethnic heritage or any other earthly distinctive. How how could we having received that message, having known our absolute helplessness to get our way to God through anything that we could bring, how could we create walls and barriers separating ourselves from others when we've been made right with God only through his grace lavished upon us without distinction? The God who brings peace with himself Jesus also brings with that peace that we have with him, peace with all those who've come to him, those of every tribe and nation and language. He himself is our peace. That's what Paul said. He's made us both one, Jew and Gentile. He's made us both one by breaking down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, like food laws, for instance, He he abolished them that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And Paul says, he came, Jesus, this is exactly what Peter preached to Cornelius, he came and preached peace to you who were far off, you Gentiles who were far off, and peace to those who were near, the Jews, who were were the, the, the... line from which the Messiah would come. He came and he preached peace to you far off and peace to you who are near. Through him, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you, Gentiles, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. No white church and black church, no no Asian church one church, the, the Christ is all church. Colossians 3.11, here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. The Christ is all church. You look around, you know, we're alive, where you say there's no white church, there's no, you said that, but you know, and we look around and it's like, we're kind, we're a lot white, but we're not as entirely white as we were a decade ago. And, and maybe in 30 more years, the Lord would bring more and more of that representation of every tribe and nation and language gathering together, testifying that in Christ there's one new man. And what defines us is not the color of our skin but our Jesus who has rescued us from sin. I better wrap it up. I I do want to just emphasize once more that all this came from God. God brought the gospel to the Gentiles. Not because the apostles decided that it should be so. (laughs) Peter was reluctant. Peter didn't understand God brought the gospel to the Gentiles because God is gracious, because God was pursuing Cornelius and because God was pursuing Peter. Acts 10 is about the gracious work of God from beginning to end. He gave Cornelius the vision. He gave Peter three visions. He poured out the spirit upon Cornelius. Oops, I just gave away the, I just did a spoiler there in the last paragraph in chapter 10. He gave the spirit so that they received the word gladly. God is behind it all and he's he's orchestrating it all And if you're in Christ, that's how you got here today. From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm just going to do, I I could just close there. And Jason is wanting me to close right there. (laughs) 
three brief points of application. They will be brief before we go to the table. First, pray for divine appointments. Pray for divine appointments. Cornelius was praying for salvation. Peter was praying as well when he received the vision. So we see how God uses prayer. Pray that God would bring you with people that need to hear the gospel in the kinds of extraordinary ways that God brought Cornelius and Peter together. So I can't tell this whole story right now because my time is tight, but we were down in Ocean City a a couple of uh, weeks ago for a conference, and our our friends, the Davises, were down there. I mean, I have other Davis friends, okay, but I'm not talking about you guys, but... um, they were, they were down there at the conference, and they're flying back to Minneapolis. They get to the airport in Philadelphia. Very long week. They were exhausted when we saw them on Wednesday. They're flying back to Minneapolis Wednesday night, and uh, issues with the, the flight and the plane. The bags go on the uh, plane. Bags are on their way to Minneapolis. The Davises are not on their way to Minneapolis. They, they, they get stuck. They, all these difficulties with travel arrangements. They end up at a hotel in Philadelphia. They go, uh, Sonia goes down to get some toiletries because their baggage is all on the way to Minneapolis. Sonia goes down to get some toiletries. She sees this woman behind the desk at the hotel and she says to the woman, I have to bring my daughter down uh, because you're so cute. Now guys, I'm not telling you to go say that to a girl at the, at the hotel, okay? You know, but she just made a comment like that and the, 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 the worker said, I don't feel cute because I had a bad day. And Sonia said, oh, I'm sorry, what happened? And this woman, for the next 10 minutes, poured her whole life out to Sonia and all of her sin and how shamed she was. And Sonia's like, <laughs> Sonia's an evangelist, if you know Sonia. Some of you do know Sonia. And she just started telling this lady the gospel about how Jesus came to take away our shame and how our sin is really bad, but it's against God that he forgives. And she had this wonderful opportunity to bear witness to Jesus because God orchestrated an event where one who was desirous of something, we don't, we still pray for, her name is Imani, pray for Imani. They're talking, they're studying the Gospel of John together on the phone. She lives in Philadelphia. They're studying. She's got a Muslim background. She's got all kinds of questions, but they're studying. And I'm just saying, I wish I had an example like that for my own life, but I'm not very attentive to what God is doing, and, I don't, and I'm just selfish, and if I was in that situation, I would probably just be pouting about not being on the plane, and I wouldn't have been thinking about inquiring about how somebody else was doing. Pray that God would give you more opportunities. Pray for opportunities that God is preparing for you to speak to others. Second, you know what? I can hit number two next week. Did you see how I did that? Praise God. I can hit number two next week. I can hit it clearly next week. So secondly, and finally, consider your part. I know some of you don't want me to skip this one. Consider your part in taking the message of Christ to those who have no access to it. Consider your part in taking the message of Christ to those who have no access to it. I know that since, that's why I just said what I just said, is because I know that since we announced this sermon series in the book of Acts, which was over a year ago, There are some people praying that God would use these sermons to stir in the hearts of some of you to be willing to lay everything aside and get yourself on a trajectory where you could take the gospel to people, to tribes, to nations, to languages that have never heard the name of Jesus. All of us are here today because under God's providential direction of all, people were willing to do that. You understand that from the vantage point of the book of Acts, America is the ends of the earth. So if we're here today rejoicing in Jesus, it's because people were faithful to sacrifice everything to go where the name of Jesus had not been proclaimed. And that good news of peace is still spreading and advancing. There are still languages. There are still peoples who don't know the name of Jesus. They're not hearing. And, And might God use some of us to Set aside our love for comfort, our love for the United States. Maybe we don't love the United States. Maybe God would use your growing disdain for the United States to go somewhere else. You want to get out of this country? Maybe there's some tribes that want to receive you, and it will be hard. I just watched a story. I can't get into all that, okay? 
it is hard to do this. It is uncomfortable, but because that's why the gospel hasn't gotten there. Because it's hard and it's uncomfortable and it's not easy. But this good news is needed and it is currently unavailable in many parts of the world. And so if he's stirring within you a heart for that, beloved, I just want to urge you to lean into that. Do not suppress that. Come speak to somebody. There are many people here that would love to speak with you, to, to help you develop training, to disciple you, to connect you with others who could help you maybe take the gospel. Like Cornelius needed the name of Jesus. He needed to hear it. He, he knew something, but he needed to understand that message. And God sent Peter there. There's still a need for that today. Because this is wonderful. Like we, this is great. It's great for us to be together, but this isn't the end, right? This isn't the goal of like our life together is not just to have good services. We should be eagerly looking forward to that final day when a great multitude that no one could number from every tribe and nation and language stands before the throne of God and the Lamb and are clothed in white robes with palm branches saying, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. And we're gonna get there to that day, not through the preaching of angels, but through the sacrificial going and sending of redeemed sinners turned saints like you and me. So as we gather joyfully today to worship the Lord, recognize that there are some Cornelius-like God-fearers who are perishing in their sin today. And they want to know the truth, some of them. We see from Cornelius. They, they want to know, they're, they're, they're wanting to know, what am I not, what do I not have? I'm not right with God. What do I need? And I'm just asking you to consider how you might be an answer to their prayers. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for bringing the gospel to us and for bringing us here today. Would you help us to marvel at the glories of our salvation and of what you've done for us in Jesus and to be diligent to spread it from, from little hotel room, hotel lobbies to unreached peoples. Make us happy spreaders of the gospel that has so remarkably broken into our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.